Good morning. Hey, y'all. I had a thought. I had, it, the thought occurred to me in the first service, and it, it did in this service as well. So let me, let me just let me say this. Um, I don't know how you feel. I, I know how, honestly, how I feel. Uh, you know, you come in, especially the last few weeks, and every week you come in, and there's that little next, and it's the campaign, and you're thinking about money and those kinds of things. And, and so we've been pretty consistent over the last couple of weeks to make sure that we bring that up because next week's a big day, you know, it's the day when we make our commitment. And um, it's not my favorite thing to do, quite honestly. I, I mean, anybody knows me, they know, man, I would just like, you know, never have to talk about things like this, but, but it's kind of necessary. And, and I don't know how you feel, but sometimes for me, uh, I think, holy bum, do we have to talk about that again? And, and you'll feel that way if you're just thinking of the what. If you're just thinking of the campaign, uh, th- that's how you'll feel. So you have to remember the why. Because if you remember the why, then the what is just gets you to the why. Uh, last, last December, uh, we do 25 days of Christmas. For those of you that don't know, it means that we're starting first Sunday in December, and we take up an offering that's over and above our tithe, and we take whatever that is, we divide it up under, uh, with, uh, you know, seven days, and then we just give the money away. And Sunday's always uh, my day, Karen's day, and so we'll take a group of people to go with us. And, uh, and my thing is Walmart. You've heard me say that many, many, many times. I just, I love Walmart. That's my people. And uh, <clears throat> Walmart, there's a variety of things you can do at Walmart. I mean, you can, you, you certainly can um, you know, buy people's groceries, but you can also you know, pay off layaways. There's, a cool, there's a lot of cool things you can do. You can, you can pay for somebody's prescription because people struggle. And, and you'd, be, you'd be shocked at the number of older people that struggle just to be able to pay for a prescription. And so we, we try to just different things. But Walmart's a great place. We they have automotive. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can do at Walmart. It's your one-stop shop. If Wally World ain't got it, you don't need it. That's kind of how, how I see it. So one of the things that we also do is that we'll occasionally go out to the gas pumps and we'll just, we'll just buy people's gas. We just fill it up. And uh, so we were doing that last year. And Karen, it was about 9 o'clock. And so Karen, uh, this lady pulled up. And, and I try, I don't, I'm not the pastor that says, you know, we can only do what I say. And so I look at literally our children that, that go because we take as many people as we can. And we have families that go. And I love it when, when moms and dads bring their kids because this is something they need to learn at an early age uh, about what, you know, really being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's just you know, it's given, not taken. So anyway, this lady pulls up. And Karen felt impressed to, to go over to that car, and, and it was a lady. She was seven months pregnant, and, uh, you know, she just pulled up. And I, I forgot this. When, when Karen and I were, you know, young and first married, have, you, have y'all ever done this? You pull up, and really, you, you put $10 in. You don't fill up. Now, it's been a while since I've experienced that, quite honestly. And I forgot what a blessing it is just to be able to pull up to a, a gas pump and fill it up. And so I'm always shocked at the number of people because there's a lot more people than you would think that, that pull up with, with $10 or $20. It's all they got. And so they say, you know, we'll just fill it up. And so the, the lady, of course, she started to cry. And she, you know, she's pregnant and, and she starts to cry. And, and um, so we fill up her tank. She, she, of course, she asked Karen who she was and, and where she's from. And, and we just don't. 
we just don't tell people that. Uh, it's too easy to be human, and it's too easy to get sucked into that whole thing of, you know, it's about us, look at us, look at what we did. And so we try to be really, really careful, so we just don't tell people. I just think that's a safe place for us to be personally. So we don't tell anybody where we're from, you know. Uh, people look at us really weird, <laughs> you know. I want to know who you are, you know. I want your number. Can I call you next week? Um, so last Sunday after church, that lady posted on our Facebook page. And she shared the story I just shared with you and shared what happened. She said, I asked these people who they were, and they wouldn't tell me. She said, when she came to church, I think it might have been the 8th, when we showed the video, she said, I recognized the lady in the video. Well, she didn't know she was my wife. And she said, I found my church. So I tell you that story because I know that from week to week, you know, you're going to hear us, yeah, we're going to talk about, this is a big deal. It, it's a huge, huge deal. It really is. It's going to take a miracle to pull it off, quite honestly. We know that within this room, as far as we know, there's nobody in this room that can write that check and make all that happen. So we're just going to have to trust the Lord and see what happens. And it's okay. Whatever God does, I promise you, I'm okay with. However he chooses to work, I'm okay. I just want to do everything we can for us to understand the why we're doing what we're doing. It's not to build a name for ourselves. It's not to toot our own horn. It's not to be the biggest church in town. Those are not the things that are drive, the driving force for us. It's the why. And so when you hear a story like that, and it was only God, you know, that that lady and her family were able to find this church. And maybe sitting out there right now, I don't know. But you know, that's, only, it's only, that's just God, how God does that. And God blesses. And so I just want you to remember the why. So from week to week when you walk in and you go, really? i got to look at another envelope. Yes, you do. Um, are we going to talk about this every week? No, just once a month. <laughs> no, we're not going to tell you what week that is um, so that you can cut church. Um, but I just want you to remember the why because the why is the driving force. That's, that's the reason that we do what we do. Is that cool? That's free. It didn't cost you nine. All right. We're in a brand new series called Hijack, and we're talking about the things that can hijack our relationship with God. The things that can hijack our relationship with God and that will hijack our relationship with each other. And today, we're going to talk about anger. You probably already picked up on that. You should have been here last week. If you missed last week, it was loads of fun. We talked about greed. And you all thought, boy, what a great day to talk about greed. You started the campaign the week before. You talk about greed the next week. We're not smart enough to think like that. So we didn't plan that at all. And so we're not smart enough to know what to do on any given day, but God always leads us. So probably some of you are probably struggling with anger. Now, there is a verse in the Bible that actually says that there's times when we should get angry. You're going to like this verse, right? You're thinking, "Woo! that's my verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. So here's the thing. There is a such thing called righteous anger. There are some things that should upset us as Christians. When we see a people group, whatever that people group, a person, an individual, when we see somebody that's being put down and, and mistreated by others, we should be angry. 
That, that should make us angry. It should make our blood boil inside, right? If we see someone who's poor and, and people are looking over that person and not paying that person any attention, not taking time to care for that person, we should get angry over those kinds of things. But that's not the kind of anger that most of us struggle with. Let's just be honest. The church, the church struggles with anger. We just don't struggle with righteous anger. What we struggle with mostly is unrighteous anger. We're a weird bunch of people. The things that we should get angry about, we don't get angry about. And the things that we should not get angry about are the very things that we will struggle with. So my guess is, just to be honest, most of us aren't struggling with unresolved righteous anger. We're probably just struggling with just plain old anger. And I don't think you have to be a Christian to understand, to know the remedy for this thing called anger. So if you are a Christian, help me out. What's, what's the remedy for anger? It would just be forgiveness. That was so easy, wasn't it? You thought there was a trick. You thought I was going to trick you. You were going to say forgiveness. It's got to be more complicated than that. It's actually not. It's just that simple. So just go forgive everybody. What do you say? Let's pray and go eat. Short message. Here's the thing. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. It's hard to forgive somebody that's wronged you. Let me tell you what's bigger than that for me personally. I can, I can get over the fact that you wronged me, but if you wrong my family, I'll cut you. And I'll cut you in Jesus' name. I'll use a verse. I'll baptize that sucker. I'm, I'm going to feel good about it. I'm going to think it's righteous anger. Are you with me? Come on. Give me some amens on something. Oh, me something, right? Absolutely. You can mess with me. Don't mess with the people that I love. And for many years, I have struggled with anger. My experience has been, because I thought when I started the church thing, I thought this will be easy. Everybody in church will understand it. My experience has been is that more people inside the church are more confused about exactly what forgiveness is than people that are outside the church. Now, there's some people that believe they ought to forgive. I love those people. And, and I love you because I'm like you. And we know that we should forgive, right? I mean, you've got a few verses. you got Jesus as the ultimate example of forgiveness. And if Jesus has forgiven us, right, who in the world are we not to forgive somebody else? Until, until maybe you've wronged somebody that I love. And so I've struggled with understanding forgiveness. And I've tried to forgive. How about you? And, and I love having honest conversations with people who've said, I tried to forgive. I've prayed about it. I've confessed it. I prayed about it some more. I've used some scripture, but here's the thing. Forgiveness, I still don't feel it. And so we think it's an emotion. It's something that I have to feel, and I've struggled with it. I don't, I don't know how to forgive. And I think that I've forgiven, and I've done really good, and then all of a sudden I wake up one morning, and I'm mad. And I'm mad all over again. And so I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed with not guilt, not just conviction from the Holy Spirit. I'm overwhelmed with shame of who in the world am I? How could I be this sorry? So there's that group of people. And then there's another group of people, a more religious group of people, who say, oh, 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 I've forgiven. I have forgiven. And then you watch them. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody says something to him and they go, what? 
And you say, looks like you need to work on forgiveness. I have forgive. In Jesus' name. I'm good. Okay. So everything that comes out of them is everything but. And they have short tempers. They're not very patient with people. And they, they easily go off on others. The people that they love, people that haven't done anything to them, they struggle with forgiveness. What I've learned, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, forgiveness is more than words. It's more than coming down during an invitation and crying at the altar and slinging snot and carrying on. It's more than that. Because again, you can do that and you can mean it in the moment and wake up six months later still struggling with anger and unforgiveness. So, what is it then? How do you know if you've actually forgiven somebody? What if the other person, this is a good one, <clears throat> what if the other person is a repeat offender? <laughs> now we're talking, right? What if they're a repeat offender? Like, what if you've already forgiven them two or three times? I mean, isn't there a limit on forgiveness? What if the offending party has passed away? What if the junk that you're dealing with is over a person that's passed away? What if it's a mom or a dad or, or a grandparent? Or, or what if it's a spouse? What if it's your anger, your unresolved anger, is with a person who's not here anymore? What do you do about it then? Jesus said, go to that person. What if you can't go to that person? What if that person hasn't passed away, but the truth of it is you can't stomach to be around that person? What if, and you can get real spiritual here, so what if the reason you can't stomach that person is because they're obnoxious, and you know that if you go to them, it's going to start the whole thing up all over again? What do you do about that? I don't know. I hope you have some answers. <laughs> so many questions, right, about forgiveness and how to resolve your unrighteous anger. And even though Jesus has given us the ultimate example of sacrificial love and forgiveness, the question of what to actually do with anger still continues to be an issue for those of us that choose to follow Jesus. And it will, it, will, it will absolutely stop you dead in your tracks in your relationship with God because you know it's something that you have to deal with. He'll remind you of it over and over and over again but you've tried. You don't know what else to do. It's an emotion you cannot cut on and off like a light switch. In a letter to uh, the believers in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul just writes a beautiful verse that's going to make you feel a whole lot better. Okay, that's a lie. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He says, get rid of. Aren't you happy? Don't you feel good? Get rid of all anger, all bitterness. Get rid of it. Rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So we're literally commanded. This is not a suggestion. It's a command to get rid of anger. Well, that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense because some of you have tried. You've tried to deal with your anger. And the thing of it is, you can't control your emotions. You just can't. And so you end up being angry, and you want to go over to the light switch. You want to cut it off. But you can't. And so then you read this verse, and now you're more frustrated than you were to start with. How do you rid yourself of an emotion? Well, maybe it's we don't understand the verse. So I did a little digging. This, this term, these words, get rid of, actually come from a Greek word that means to remove, to separate yourself from. You feeling better? 
I read that it's kind of like when you unintentionally walk through a spider web. Now, I've often thought it would be cool if somebody were to video me every week, every, every single week. Not, we haven't skipped a week yet when I'm cutting the grass. And let me just say, I look good when I'm out there. I got my shorts on. I got my boots up to here because I don't want to get poison ivy. And I got this thing around. I look like I'm fixing to rob somebody. what I look like. I got this mask that comes up here because I get allergies and all that kind of stuff. Are you feeling me? And so then I've got my boots on. I'm out there in my shorts. And I'm doing my thing. And so my head's down because I'm doing the trim work because you do trim work first, right? That's the way you do it. That's the right way to do it. And so I'm out there trimming. I'm minding my own business. And all of a sudden, it is different trees every single week. I find myself in the middle of this spider web. And you know what I do when I unintentionally walk through a spider web? I throw that weed eater down. I, go, ah! I scream like a little six-year-old girl, and I do everything I can to pull at everything on me that feels like a spider web. It's not because I'm scared of spider webs. I'm, it's a spider web, so I'm afraid there's a spider attached to that sucker somewhere. And I just have the idea that he's crawling in my ear or something. And so now I have to, you know, turn around, of course, to see if any of my neighbors have heard me. How stupid I look. Grown man in them silly boots. And I've killed my weed eater. That's what the word means. To get rid of. Why? Because it'll hijack your relationship with God. I'm going to tell you what you'll eventually do. Your anger can get so bad at times. Anger that you have with other people that you get ticked at God because he hasn't done something to change them. That they haven't come to you and begged your forgiveness yet. That he hasn't shown them the error of their way. It'll hijack your relationship with God. It'll hijack your relationship with other people. There's probably somebody that wants to stop me right now and say, hi, hey, 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 hey. Hang on just a cotton-picking minute. You don't know my story. And if you knew my story, then, then you'd be careful. I mean, we wouldn't be laughing right now. There's nothing funny. I can't get rid of. Stop that getting rid of stuff. You don't know my story. And I would say, you know what? You're right. I don't. I don't know your story. And, and probably, you're probably right that if we knew your story, there's probably some of us that got a little bit of redneck in us that would probably feel for you. In fact, I'll be honest with you, and it's happened to me, where you become so angry over the hurt that somebody else has experienced that you would look at them and say, oh, I'll take care of that. I got that for you. I'll go, I'll go at them like a ninja during the night or something. You know what I mean? I won't tell them I'm a pastor. They don't know. I'll put on a mask. I'll do something. We probably would be tempted to join you in this crusade to pay back whoever it is or whatever it is they did to you. But here's what you need to know. This is what I love about the Bible. What you need to know is that Paul didn't write these words while he was kicked back in a hammock with a laptop on the sandy white beach of Hawaii. This is not preacher stuff. Are you, are you listening? This, this, is, this ain't preacher stuff. This ain't somebody just standing in a church on a Sunday morning saying... Now, y'all get ready, your anger. <laughs> I'm good. This is, this is a man who had been arrested. 
He wrote this from a prison cell. And, and, and this so you know, he was unjustly imprisoned. And on his way to being imprisoned, he was beaten with rods. He was whipped. He was in a shipwreck. He got snake bit. <laughs> That's before he got to the prison. He's not just in prison, but he's literally awaiting his execution, which they did execute. I'm just saying, if anybody had a right to be angry, it was him. I mean, honestly, he had a right to be angry at God. Don't you think? Don't, don't you think while he was in this Roman prison, literally chained to a guard 24-7, every eight hours there was a shifting, a changing in the guard? Don't you, don't you think he could have said, really, God? I mean, I give my life to follow you, Jesus. I need to be out preaching the gospel, and now I'm in prison. How is this working out? Like, how am I doing any good by bring, being in a prison cell? And I'm doing all this for you, and you would allow this to happen to me? I mean, I could make a, make a, a, a good uh, story this morning that it would be good, it would, it would be easy to understand why he's angry. I get it. I understand why he's angry at God. It'd be easy to understand why he's angry at people. <laughs> I'm out here telling you that Jesus loves you. I mean, like, what's wrong with that? I'm here to tell you that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You're angry? I'm telling you that God loved you so much, he loved the world so much that he would give his son, and you're angry at me? I'm just saying, if anybody probably had a right to be angry, it's him, but he's not. So whatever advice or warning that he gives us is probably legit. This is the guy that we can listen to and go, man, if you knew how to deal with it, you got to teach us something. At least part of the answer is found in this verse. <laughs> if you didn't like the, one, the, the previous verse, you ain't going to like this one either. He starts off, he says, be kind and compassionate. You've got to be kidding me. Forgiving each other. Just as Christ, God, forgave you. So Paul has the audacity to suggest that we extend kindness and compassion now, he's pushing it a little too far, don't you? Because, I mean, I would say, okay, okay, I get it. I'm a follower of Jesus. i got to forgive. I just don't have to like. And, and I don't have to be nice. I mean, I can forgive. I can say I'm going to forgive. I can say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. I hope you fall dead, but I forgive you. And we somehow think that's Christian. I read because of the construction of the Greek, uh, original language of the New Testament is Koine Greek, common Greek. have to know a little bit about the language, and I understand based on other people who know a lot more than me, but it implies that forgiveness is what enables us to actually be kind and have compassion for somebody who's done us wrong. So there you go, easy peasy. We getting any, is this any easier? Okay, probably not. And then, he didn't just say any forgiveness. He didn't just say any forgiveness, does he? He didn't just say, just forgive each other as your neighbor forgave you when you. He said, no, no, no. Just as. Like, so just as. Those two words should be italicized. They should be in bold, like double size font, something. Just as. And so people have pulled the just as card with me before. They've looked at me and said, you have to forgive me. Jesus has forgiven me, and so you have to forgive me. To which I've said, I ain't Jesus. 
I meant that with all the love that I could muster. So that's the qualifier, not just forgiveness, but listen, as, as Jesus has forgiven us of all of the stupid, dumb, idiotic sin that we have in our life, then we're supposed to be kind and compassionate toward those who've wronged us. So what does this look like in real life? What does this look like in real life? Jesus hung around with us. A group of guys, uh, his, his disciples. The thing about hanging around with Jesus is that what they got a chance to see was that he lived it. It wasn't just a teaching that he did on Sunday. It wasn't just a good speech for a crowd, but that he lived it every single day of his life. And there, were, there was a group of people that wanted to have him crucified, and eventually they did crucify him. And what, what these disciples would see is they would see Jesus, rather than being angry, is that he would treat these people with kindness and compassion. Literally, that he went to the cross to pay the penalty for their sin, just like everybody else's, and that he loved them with as much love. The depth of that love was as deep as the love that he had for them. So old Peter watched this and was fascinated with what he saw. So he takes Jesus aside one day, Matthew 18. Here's what he says. He said, I think this is so cool. He says, Lord, how many times, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who's against me? I love this because for those of you that are from Greer, he's asking, when's enough enough? Because, I mean, we all know, you know, forgiveness has its limits. You know what I'm saying? And so then, then he, I love this. So Peter, Peter has he's been living with Jesus. He watched Jesus. He knows that Jesus is real, so he took a stab at what he thought the answer might be. So it's like he asked the question, but he's, I'm going to get some brownie points from Jesus because I'm going to give him a good answer. He says so, up to seven times. <laughs> there might have been a time when Peter would have said, nah, Twice is all you're going to get with me. But he's been watching Jesus. And so maybe, maybe he knows a little bit about numerology in the Bible and that numbers mean something, you know. And he said, oh, three, I could say three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I could say, maybe I could say six. And then, no, 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 no. Then he said seven. That's like the perfect number. That's what at least theologians come up with. They come up with all these different things that these numbers mean. Maybe Peter is taking a step like, wow, Jesus, you're going to be so impressed. Seven times. So the point is, When's enough enough? And so just by asking the question, you know what Peter assumed? And you know what we assume? That forgiveness is for the offender. Because that's what he's thinking. He's not thinking about himself. He's, this question has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the people that have done him wrong. That's what he's thinking. Okay, Lord, here's the deal. So how many times, how many times do they get off for doing the same stupid thing? How many times? And like, when do I finally look at him and say, enough is enough, out of my face. And he was willing to go as many as seven rounds with the same person over the same issue. After all, forgiveness has its limits. Everybody knows that. I don't know if this is what Jesus did, but I, I kind of, you know, I, Jesus was from the South. We all know that. They got their geography wrong. I think it was from Greer. I'm just kidding. I know I offended somebody. I'm sorry. Um, I, just, I just wonder if maybe Jesus walked over, put his arm around him. Maybe patted him on the back and said, bless your heart. 
bless your heart. He said, not, not seven times. Hey, boy, you, you know what? You tried. You, took it, you, you stretched it a bit. Seventy-seven times. And, and, and Peter, at that moment, his, his mouth had to go, what? And so is it literally, was he saying 77 times? No. The, the point that Jesus was making is that there is no limit on forgiveness. There's no limit. Peter, you misunderstood. You think it's for the offender. It's not. It's for you. Because I want you to understand something. Unforgiveness in your heart, this anger that you haven't dealt with, is going to destroy your relationship with me. And it's going to destroy your relationship with the people that you love. See, you're angry at that person, but you take it out on this person. And so before Peter, and I, Peter's probably literally just, he's speechless. And Jesus does what Jesus, as the master teacher, does best. He tells him a parable. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him, this is really important that you understand the amount here. This is a parable. This is a, this is a story. It's not a true story. It's a story to make a meaning. But you need to understand what he says. Ten thousand bags of gold. In other words, what's the point Jesus is making? This, this, this guy owes so much money, he'll never be able to pay it back. It's impossible. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had to be sold, to repay the debt. And at this, the servant, he fell on his knees. He said, man, I'm toast. He said, be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. It's a lie. He can't. The servant's master took pity on him. Watch this. I love these next words. Canceled the debt. There's your definition of forgiveness. I don't think we understand forgiveness. I think we think it's an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. And Jesus gave us the definition. You want to know what forgiveness is? It's a decision to cancel the debt. That's what he said. And let him go. Whenever somebody hurts you, there's a sense in which they've taken something from you. A, a debt is incurred. Somebody gossips about you. Anybody ever gossip about you? You should be me. Lord have mercy. People have wore themselves out talking about me over the years. And, and they've told lies. I've always thought that was the funniest thing. I said, just tell the truth. You don't have to lie about me. I mean, really, I've got enough junk in my life. My closet's full. i got a basement. Full basement full of junk. Pick anything. Why would you lie? They steal your reputation. You know, the one thing that I took so much pride in, in for so many years was my reputation. I'm a man of integrity. If I tell you I'll do something, you can go ahead and write it down. I promise you, I'm going to do it. You can set your watch by me. I'm a man of my word. I'll do what I say. And suddenly there was a period of time in my life when I couldn't fight for myself. And I was angry. If you've ever been fired unjustly, your employer robbed you of financial security. One day you had a job, you could make the house payment, you could pay the bills, the next day you could not. 
You're scrambling. You don't know what to do. You're going to lose everything you've got. You know you're going to lose everything. And you're angry. A spouse is unfaithful. And he or she robs their spouse of an emotional security. You were cheated on. And the thing of it is, is now you don't trust anybody. Man, I've been there too. Not with my wife, but by, by friends. And so what happens, once you get betrayed, you don't trust anybody. See, that's why, that's why Jesus was dealing with the issue. He said, this, this is not, it'll destroy your relationship with me. You won't trust me either. You won't trust me to step in. You won't trust the way I handle things in your life. You won't trust anybody else. You'll never fully surrender your heart to another human being. You won't. And Jesus said, that, listen, the, the end goal in following me is love. The destination is for you to be able to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and to be able to love each other like you love yourself. You will never do that until you learn how to forgive. Forgiveness is the decision to cancel the debt. And then Jesus continued, but when that servant, the guy who'd just been forgiven, y'all tracking, went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him, notice what it says, a hundred silver coins. You get the, uh, 10,000 bags of gold versus a hundred silver coins. It's silly. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. The point Jesus is making is he could pay it back. Now, the other guy couldn't. It was way too much money. He would never, not in his lifetime, ever be able to pay it back. Jesus said, in this story, here's a guy who says, you were forgiven, but the thing of it is, this guy owes you a small amount of money. It's the kind of money that in time he will be able to pay back. But he refused. Instead, went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And this is the place in the story where everybody starts to get a little angry. Man, you've got to be kidding me. This makes no sense at all. How could you, how could you be this way when so much has, uh, has been forgiven you? A debt you could never repay, and this guy could pay his back if you just be patient. There was no mercy, no kindness, no compassion. Then Jesus said, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. Yeah. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled. There we are again. We're back to the definition of forgiveness. I canceled all. The word all. I canceled all your debt. Because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? What are you thinking? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Man, that'll, that'll mess you up on it. I've I got to be as honest with you as I know how to be. I'm not absolute with certainty. can tell you exactly what that means, but I know it's not good. 
There's not a literal prison for those who harbor resentment in their hearts, but we certainly put ourselves in a prison of sorts when we cling to the debts owed to us by others. And maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. Maybe what he's saying is this. If you demand payment, then you'll have to pay. And, and maybe, is it a warning? Or maybe Jesus, with compassion, is saying, if you have this heart, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy the relationships that you're in. There will be a price to pay. you don't learn how to cancel the debt. And if your experience with anger has been anything like mine, then you know what Jesus is saying is true. Anger is a poison to your soul. Anger is not what we do for the benefit of the offender. To, to re refuse to forgive is to choose to self-destruct. So here's the fun time in the service. The time when I get to look at you and I get to ask you the question. Would you be willing to admit that anger and unforgiveness maybe, just maybe, is hijacking your relationship with God? <clears throat> you know what? Maybe, maybe you're, you're not hanging out with Him as much as you used to. I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, when there's something in my life that stands between me and him, it's on every page of the Bible. I'm in the New Testament, and I'm thinking, I'm going to the Old Testament. I'm going to go to the Old Testament. He didn't say anything about that in the Old Testament. You go to the Old Testament, you go, how did that get in Judges? I'm going to Deuteronomy. Nothing in Deuteronomy makes any sense, right? And there it is in Deuteronomy. You go, and maybe what you know it is also hijacking your relationship with other people. And here's the thing, it's the people that you love. This unresolved anger and unforgiveness, it comes out and explodes onto the people that you love the most in this world. And that's, that's what Jesus was saying. It's going to destroy you. You've got to learn how to cancel the debt. And you've got to learn to be able to look at the offender with compassion and kindness. Wow. So is there anybody, like this is a safe place, I hope you know that. Is there anybody that would just be willing to slip up your hand and say, man, I struggle sometimes. i got to be honest. This anger thing and forgiveness. Yeah, me too. So let me tell you what this is not. This is not where I'm going to pray for you. Bam, hit you over the head with a Bible and you go home and everything's cool. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. I kind of started my journey going through a 12-step study. I didn't even know what I was in a 12-step study for. And God said, ah, you thought, so you thought you had forgiven. I said, I did. I don't feel angry anymore. And he said, you know why? Because you're not angry. You're numb. I went, well, I appreciate that. He said, it's true. You don't, you're right. You don't, you don't feel the anger toward people. 
You just don't have the compassion either. Where's the love? Are we going to love them? I had to say, man, that's hard. And just so you know, uh, I went through one 12-step study, and then I had to go through a second one. See, the thing that breaks my heart is there's so many people think that the people that show up at Celebrate Recovery on a Thursday night are just people that struggle with alcohol and drugs. I've been saying this for so many years. Y'all are so tired of hearing it. I know. I don't know why all of us aren't there on Thursday night. Who in the world are we to point a finger at somebody else? How, why do we think we suddenly arrived somewhere? It's a journey. And what God's been doing in my life over the last 15 plus years is amazing. And I'm able to love at a compa- with a capacity I've never been able to love before because God said, deal with your junk. And that's what I'm telling you this morning. I can't just pray a prayer for you. You can't just go home and Read a couple of verses of Scripture. Pat yourself on the back and say, I'm done. No, you've got to work through it. You might need to call the church. You, you may need to set up a, a time to get into some counseling. We'll help you with that. I think the best thing you can do is show up on a Thursday night. Just walk through the door and say, I'm screwed up just like y'all. I need you. And you know what those people are going to do? They're going to embrace you. And they're going to say, welcome. That's right. We're just all messed up. Just different stuff. That's all. Let's work through it together. It's a journey, not a prayer. Now, can God work a miracle? He absolutely can. And, and right now, if you said, Lord, forgive me, help me to forgive, I want to get this past, bam. God's a God of miracles. We've seen it right here in this place, believe it or not. We've had people healed. I'm supernaturally healed in this service. I know y'all think I'm crazy. I'm telling you the truth. And we're Baptist. God can do it here. He can do it anywhere. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're Baptist for Pete's sake. Some of y'all go, you're Baptist? Don't tell the Baptist. It's going to take time to deal with your stuff. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. And you know you need forgiveness. That's where you are. When you walked in here this morning, your head held low, you're struggling. Man, I got wonderful news for you. God's crazy about you. Absolutely crazy, and He proved it. He's crazy in love with you, and what He wants is a relationship, and He proved it. He proved it by paying the ultimate sacrifice for every wrong thing that you've done, every good thing that you should have done and didn't do. That is sin, and He, take care, he took care of all that on the cross. Wow, why? He, he's willing to cancel your debt cancel it one time it's going to be done all you have to do is say Lord forgive me now I've been doing this for 35 years I still am so excited about every invitation because I think who in the world could say no to that it's the best news you've ever heard right so every head's bowed and every eye's closed if you're not a follower of Jesus but you'd like to be then maybe you've just pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you just start off by saying, wow, God, your love is so over the top. Wow. And I know I'm guilty. I know I don't deserve forgiveness. 
I'm a repeat offender. But your love is amazing. And so I, I don't even know what to say, but thank you. And I do. I just want to ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for all of my sin. All the stuff in my past. All the stuff in my present. And you're going to have to forgive me for all the stuff in my future too because I have no hope if you don't. You're alive. I believe you're alive. I can feel your presence right now. So to the best of my ability, I'm surrendering my life to you. Father, you are amazing. Lord, for me personally, just me personally, God, just to say thank you for canceling my debt. Jesus, when you were on the cross, you said it to Telestai. You said it's finished. The debt has been paid. One time. One time for the atonement of sin. One time. The sin debt has been paid for. Father, to experience your love, to experience your goodness, it's almost too much to take in. So we'll just tell you that we love you and say thank you. It's in your sweet name that we pray.